You're listening to The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Whole Home Show. I'm Tony Joe, your host here every week, bringing you tips, education, and updates on home-related matters. Whether you're in the real estate market or if you're looking for decorating or improvement ideas for your home, this is a great place to be. Our show comes to you with the support of our show partners, Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Center's Modern Mortgage Group, J.P. Sellas, insurance advisor at Westland Insurance, the Sitka Law Group for your real estate, wills and estates, corporate and personal injury needs, and Shoreline Inspections with Reese Jacob and Monica Gass. If you need help or direction in your real estate transaction, give any of the whole Home Show team members a call. They would love to hear from you. And of course, that means if you're looking for legal advice, if you need a building inspection, not only for when you're buying a home, but even having to look at the condition of your home right now to assess whether or not there are any areas that you need to take care of in preparation, for instance, for the wintertime. Or if you're looking for a review for your home insurance to make sure you're adequately covered. And finally, getting that mortgage. Maybe even a refinance, uh, maybe even consolidation. There's so many things that all of us here at The Whole Home Show can do for you. And that includes myself as well, too. I've been selling real estate here in Greater Victoria since 1991, helped hundreds of people achieve their real estate dreams and goals. I can happily help you as well, too. If you'd like a second opinion or need some more advice, give me a call. You can find my contact information and the rest of the whole Home Show team members on cfax1070.com. Look under shows and there you'll find us, the whole Home Show with me, Tony Joe, or you can find me online. Just Google Tony Joe Victoria. You'll find everything there. Our website, the Prime Real Estate Team, YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram, uh, everything. We'd be happy to connect with you. There's been a lot of buzz out there about condos recently, specifically about condo insurance, rising premiums, and concerns about condo depreciation reports. Today, we'll be speaking with Ryan Stenquist of Condo Clear who reviews all strata documents for clients and provides clarity in this very confusing area. Plus, we're going to have a conversation with our own Denise Webster about what's happening out there in the mortgage world, including how people are buying and getting financing during COVID-19. We always start with a listener question or story. And if you have one, give us a call. Our number is 250-414-6540. That's 250-414-6540. Leave a message or, again, find us online, cfax1070.com. I've been bringing up recently a lot of common questions that have been coming our way recently. Quite often, we have a number of callers with the same question or the same story. So I am trying to summarize them here uh, for you. I've got a couple of questions, a couple of uh, um, stories for you today. Hopefully, I can reach them in the time that we have uh, left together here. Uh, but I'm going to start with this. How long is a CMA good for? CMA, by the way, is a comparative market analysis. Uh, that's kind of realtor jingo, that, uh, lingo, I'm sorry. Um, that is when somebody wants to know the value of their, of their home, they call a real estate agent and they have a comparative market analysis done. By the way, this is different from an appraisal. An appraisal is where a certified appraiser goes in does uh, a lot of research and determines what the value of a house is. An appraisal is something that um, has a cost to it. So you pay for an appraisal. That is, if you're doing a bank uh, mortgage or you're doing uh, refinance, 
the bank requires that because they want to make sure that the house is worth you know what you're hoping it is to draw equity out or to uh, to buy it. Uh, a realtor appraisal is is different. Uh, I'm sorry, it's not technically an appraisal; it's an assessment. I got to be careful with words here because realtors are not qualified to appraise properties. That is beyond our scope of expertise. Interesting thing, uh, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, is the information, the data that appraisers use to do an appraisal is the same data that we have from uh, the real estate board, the MLS system. Uh, and don't be confused here. Some people think that realtors get information from the appraisal industry. That's not true. It actually goes the other way around. It's the MLS system, the database that realtors have, and that shows the inventory, how many days on market, uh, if there's properties that have not sold, when they sell, how much they sell for, how long it took them to sell, list price to sell price, uh, cost per square foot, all that kind of stuff, the real estate community actually collects. And we have data use agreements where we share that data with the appraisal community. See, the appraisers would have a very hard time establishing appraisals of properties without us. So you have your real estate community and your realtor to thank for that data. And it's not just the appraisal uh, industry, by the way. It is also British Columbia Assessment Authority. So you know that assessment that you get every January in your mailbox? Where do you think that information comes from? You're right. That comes from the real estate community. Because again, it is the real estate information. We provide the British Columbia Assessment Authority with all of the sale uh, uh, data and sale information. Now, um, most people feel that maybe the assessment authority gets information from the land titles office because when a property does register and it sells, uh, of course, there's a change in the land title, uh, um, in the title. There's also a notation there what the payment or what the cost of that transaction was at the time. So that information is there. But what land titles does not provide is it doesn't provide details like how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, score footage, uh, exposure. Um, it doesn't contain all of that information. We, the real estate community, provides that. By the way, our MLS system in Victoria here dates all the way back to 1989. So we can look at every single historical sale that has happened in Greater Victoria since 1989. A lot of data there. So I'm giving the real estate community a pat on the back. Uh, I, I've been a member of the real estate community for 90 years. Uh, yes, of course, it is a fantastic career for me and all of my colleagues. But I have to say from a public service standpoint, the data that the real estate community provides is absolutely invaluable. It all comes from us. So kudos to the real estate community. Going back to the question though. So the question is, uh, how long is a comparative market analysis good for? So a realtor has gone giving you an assessment of a property. How uh, long is that good for? Well, uh, listen, ladies and gentlemen, it depends on the market. Sometimes the market is very fast acting. Right now, we're in a phase where um, property values are changing almost by the day. And if that's the case, the CMA is only good for days. Uh, there are points in time where nothing really happens for three months, you know, four months, that kind of thing. Uh, and that could, uh, the, the CMA could be valid for that amount of time. I'm going to say it is very uh, odd or rare for a CMA to last six months because we have enough data and enough sales in Greater Victoria uh, to be able to provide updated information on a regular basis. So uh, the answer to the question is, the C it depends on the market. 
It depends on how fast moving the market is. It depends on uh, a number of factors. The main thing here, ladies and gentlemen, is if you have a CMA from a realtor, the realtor that you're working with, and let's just say they say, okay, today the house is worth $800,000. If you don't sell and you put the house on the market a year from now, don't just assume that your realtor only thinks that it's worth $800,000 today. You've got to get in touch with them and say, hey, can you do a review of our market analysis? I'd like to know, you know if there's been any changes. And that's what we're there for. So make sure you ask that question. Um, the other question that I have for you today is, uh, is the, uh, no, I'm sorry, I answered that last time. Why is inventory low? Why is inventory, because it is low right now. We've got 2,700 active listings in a marketplace where we normally have 4,200, 4,400. Um, there is a reason, and I'll tell you this. It's a seller's market right now. Sellers pretty well know that they're not going to have too much trouble selling. Not everyone sells, by the way, but in general, things are pretty good right now. Um, the concern that sellers have is if they sell their house and they can't find another house to move to because we are in a low inventory. It's a, basically, it's a feedback loop. It's a loop that, it's a cycle that keeps on going. And um, there will be a lot more properties on the market once people find themselves uh, more comfortable with the fact that they won't be homeless. The other reason, by the way, too, is net migration. We have 4,000 more people coming into the city than going out year after year after year. We're already at 400,000 population. It was only 350,000 not that long ago. Our town is getting bigger. There's more people coming in and they're not leaving behind empty homes. So that's what's happening. Um, if you have a question, just give us a call, 250-414-6540 or find us online. And by the way, if you're a podcast listener, find us on iTunes or Google Play. But we need to take a quick break here. When we come back, We'll be talking about mortgages, followed by strata stuff, condos and depreciation reports, back in just a moment. This is The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. We're having a conversation a little later today about condos, about depreciation reports, contingency reserve fund studies, and all that other fun uh, topical stuff relating to condos. But before we do, I want to have a conversation with uh, one of our show sponsors. Uh, of course, our friendly neighborhood mortgage broker, Denise Webster from Dominion Lending Center's Modern Mortgage Group. Uh, hi there, Denise. How's it going today? It's great, Tony. It's good to be back. Thank yes, you. yes. Always great to have you here. Always great to have you here. So listen, I wanted to chat with you about a number of things. Here we are uh, during uh, um, very interesting times, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a chat with you the other day. Things are busy. We know we're busy. You're obviously busy. Um, I got to tell you, I, I did a informal survey on a couple of uh, Facebook sites last week. And I asked agents in Ontario and also in the lower mainland, what the source, like, where are their buyers are coming from? Right. Right. Where are your buyers coming from? And I had, there was a, the, the vast majority were, um, okay, we had people wanting to leave big city. Uh, we had um, divorces, unfortunately, right? Yeah. People who were finding they need more home, right? Ran out of space. Ran out of space. See, those are all, these are all self-isolation COVID consequences, right? They are. Yeah, right? it's a good question to be asking. Yeah, but the other one, the other one, which is, which is a big surprise, the biggest one is first-time buyers. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know. A lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, I know you're dealing with them. The, the thing is, 
you know, we've talked to uh, other people who are like, I can't believe this. Like people are losing their jobs. There's unemployment, you know, people are being furloughed, you know, all that kind of stuff. How is it that people are even thinking about buying real estate, but you're dealing with them because you're dealing with a lot. Like, is this more than usual first time buyers you're handling right now? It feels that way. Yeah. Like it, the number of pre-approvals of people wanting to get out there and start looking at the market is really, really high. And it is first time home buyers that have thought about it in the past. They said, we thought, but maybe we should just get our ducks in a row now and see what we qualify for. So uh, yeah, I probably would say my portfolio right now is 75% um, first time home buyers. Yeah. And that's high. Cause we've talked about that before. That's a high, yeah. high figure for you. Right. Um, the, I guess it makes people wonder, like here we are, the, there's the specter of maybe a, a you know, a second uh, wave coming and yeah. you know, who knows what was happening in the fall. But, but my theory, and I think you agree as well, is that interest rates are low, great uh, buying environment right now. I think people want to be in their homes, even yes. if there is a second wave, they just sit it out until everything settles down, right? Well, I think we've all just really assessed our living conditions because we've been stuck in them. And so it might be that it's somebody that's been renting in an apartment and they feel too close to people and they really want to get into a detached home now. It's, it's forced you to look at your environment very much so. Yeah. So it could be those people that are renting are feeling too close to their neighbors and wanting to really see, hey, it would have been nicer to have been in a house during all of this. Um, I also have another theory, and it may be because I'm seeing it on applications. Um, we're seeing more, and not that it's brand new, but we're seeing a lot of gifted down payments. Oh. So families could be saying, you know, I, I think it's a general consensus. They would like to see their children reap the rewards of their inheritance while they're still here. Um, and maybe families have just been brought closer together through this as well. But I think it's based on reassessing our environment and maybe that push to say, great time to buy, interest rates are so low, might not be able to buy in the fall if there's a second wave. It just seems like the perfect storm of all these conditions coming together to say, let's get out there and buy a house. Well, because the whole notion of uh, gifting a down payment, this is nothing new, but what you're saying no. is maybe seeing a little more. Right? A little bit more. And I, I, I think I have seen that. Uh, well, I've heard that from my clients. My parents want to actually see me yeah. in a house while they're still here. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Well, that's usually the toughest part of the qualifying is really like, it's hard. Finding the down payment. We have an expensive part of the world. It's hard to save your down payment. Oh, you know, I, I got to say it's, it's remarkable because I've been reading Toronto, Vancouver and Victoria, all of these first time buyers, because, you know, we are helping first time buyers too. Right. Yeah. And, and yet, you know, the, the, the dialogue for years has been affordability. Nobody can buy their first home. You know, uh, it's impossible to be a first time buyer. That's not true because no. people are buying their first homes right now. Right. They really are. Yeah. And I get it. I get it's expensive. I mean, it's different from when I was a fir you know, first time buyer. Right, I bought my first house at two hundred thousand dollars back in nineteen ninety-two. Right, which was a lot of money. It was, it was, um, and I get it. You know, it's always expensive. Not saying that you know the struggle isn't real because it is, but you can still buy as a first-time buyer, right? Correct. Yeah, um, because you've been talking about people self-assessing their situation, right? Uh, we're also seeing a lot more people working out of home, and I've had conversations. I'm involved with a corporation and I had a, a conversation with uh, one of the senior uh, people there about the fact that the corporate um, uh, objective now is to downsize physical space and have more people working out of home. Right. 
And you mentioned to me something yesterday that I wanted to bring up on the show here today about mortgage qualifications. So, so talk about it. Well, this triggered uh, um, some conversations with my lenders as well as a client called me. He's an existing pre-approval that's been trying to find a house for a couple of years, very particular. And he posed the question, he says, so um, I have been working from home since March and will be able to continue to work from home. My employer has uh, no intention of bringing us back to the office. Um, do I would have a lot more purchase power outside of Victoria. Um, what is there any issue with me moving up island? And he's kind of just proposing a few different areas. And the response is, you will still qualify for your mortgage if your employment letter states clearly that you are able to work remotely. So the lender will probably do a phone call verification to your employer as well and verbally um, uh, verify that as well. But if you are able to remotely work with your job and keep the exact same salary, why do you have to live where the company is established? Okay, so this is, this is kind of new, right? Yeah. Well, no, it's not new. I've, I've definitely had it in the past where I've had somebody work okay. remotely from home and it exactly that they wanted on the letter. I just think we're going to see a heck of a lot more of these. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because, and that's, that's the neat thing is, is it's not like you need to move town and then find a new job. Right. It's you, you, you move town, you maybe get more house or you, you know, you live on the water, you know, in North Island or whatever it is yeah. um, for the same or less and you keep your job and you keep your income and you, and the banks are letting you do that. Yep. And it, it really, I mean, it's not going to be the person that's not going to get approved is the brand new job that they've just started totally new industry for them. And they get a letter that says they get to work from home. That's not a, it, there's no history of you working in that industry. You should have some kind of history to prove to the lender that you've had this job a while, or You've just been promoted to this new position in the exact same position or industry that you've always worked in. So I think the only things we'd really struggle with getting a lender to get on board with would be something so brand new, probationary period, yeah. right? They're going to want to see that you've established a little bit of history in that kind of industry or job. Yeah, interesting. But, but the person that's been at their job 10 years and now gets approval to work from home, why do you have to stay in the same city? Well, but here's the thing. I mean, I was referencing a Victorian moving up island, for instance. But I think what we're going to do is we're going to see those Vancouverites. Yes. Yeah, because I've already had clients from Toronto and Ottawa. Who, first of all, because we are the healthiest part of the country right now. Yes, okay. we are. We won't tell everyone. We won't tell everyone. <laughs> um, but, but the other thing is everyone wants to come to Victoria. So if they can come to Victoria and keep their job working remotely, yeah. uh, it's, a pretty nice, it's a pretty nice arrangement. Yeah, and you mentioned that at the start of this conversation that you've had people um, moving out of the cities. And I think that, again, is that assessment of your environment. And during a, something so, you know, it's tragic what we've gone through and, and it's, it's forced us all to kind of reassess some things. So maybe somebody doesn't want to be in the heart of a big city anymore when something like this occurs. So it, I think you've seen it as well. We have people wanting to get up out of the city. Amazing. Oh, my goodness. Uh, as always, Denise, uh, wonderful having you here. Remind everyone if they need to get a hold of you for this great advice. How, how do they do that? 
just call me directly at 250-889-4743 or shoot me an email, uh, denise at denisewebster.com. Yeah, well, listen, stick around because we're going to have a conversation about condo stuff and we might, we might be asking you about uh, mortgage qualification when it comes to condos because after the break here, we're going to have Ryan Stenquist from Condo Clear talking about reviewing strata documents and making sure that a consumer's purchase is the right one because you need people to direct you in that area. Not just people like myself in real estate, Denise in the mortgage realm, but also someone to read the strata documents too. So uh, taking a quick break, we'll be back in just a moment. Now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Our show comes to you every week with the support of our show partners, Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Center's Modern Mortgage Group, J.P. Sellers, insurance advisor at Westland Insurance, the Sitka Law Group for your real estate, wills and estates, corporate and personal injury needs, and Shoreline Inspections with Reese Jacob and Monica Gass. If you need help or direction in your real estate transaction, give any of the whole Home Show team members a call. They would love to hear from you. We're talking today about condos. Of course, the way we're going right now with yet another strong real estate market, it appears that condos are a great way for people to get into the marketplace. Really hard to buy your first home nowadays when the average price of a house is a million dollars. The other alternative is to buy a condo, and it's a great lifestyle as well too. You know, lock the door, go on vacation, no yard maintenance, any of that kind of stuff. But there are things that you need to consider when you're buying. That's the reason why we have our next guest with us right now. Ryan Senquist is with Condo Clear. Uh, Ryan, thanks for coming coming back. It's been a while since we've had you here. Yeah, thanks for having me again, Tony. It's a pleasure. Our, yeah, yeah, yeah. So listen, uh, the reason why we wanted to talk today is there's, there's concerns out there right now. Of course, it's been in the media about uh, strata insurance policies. There's been issues with um, getting replacement uh, uh, insurance for condos. And then there's uh, rising increases in um, deductibles and premiums. Now, you're not in the insurance business. You know, we have JP uh, from Westland for that. But one of the things that you do that you'll explain to us in a moment is you help consumers review all of the strata documentation so that they can make an informed decision, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I started Condo Clear about three years ago to give, give buyers a, a better idea as to what they were getting into. And uh, insurance to me is something that has always been very, very important. It's something that I think traditionally speaking, the, the real, real estate industry hasn't, hasn't paid as much attention to as perhaps they, they should have. And now we have a situation where now, of course, everybody's paying a lot of attention to the insurance and what's going on there. Mm -hmm. Well, it's really interesting because it appears to be a provincial issue because BC is kind of that hotspot where stratas are having issues. And yet the insurance companies are not BC based. You know, these are national or international companies. So obviously, well, um, stratas do things differently here than they do, for instance, in Ontario. Yeah, I can't speak too much on how, how that's formatted there and the differences between BC and Ontario or Alberta. Um, but one thing that, that many people really don't know and a lot of people are surprised to hear 
is that uh, strata insurance has always been a little bit of a, of, a, of a risky thing. It's been a tumultuous relationship between strata corporations and insurance companies. Um, as far as the number of insurers that are out there that deal with strata corporations, that number has actually been dwindling for the last five or 10 years, just because uh, from what I've been told is that's not necessarily the most, the most uh, attractive book of business for insurance companies. So uh, the indications right now with what's going on with the, with the market correction is that insurance companies are looking at it saying, Hey, this is, this is really high, high risk area for us. Um, we need to, we need to do something about this so that we're, we're, we're covering our losses uh, in case there are some now, the, the thing to me that's really positive about all this, and, and uh, I think my, my outlook on this is a lot more positive than perhaps what a lot of people are seeing in the media. Uh, the things that the government are, is proposing in regards to changes to the Strata Property Act uh, and whatnot uh, are things that I, I, I've been saying or, or, or supporting all along. So I'm really happy to hear that those, that those changes are coming down the pipeline. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, let's step, step back a little bit because this is a super important topic. And I think we might end up uh, touching on it a little bit more uh, as we move along here too. Um, l let's just start with the process. So if somebody, a consumer is thinking about buying a condo and of course they're concerned about the strata insurance thing because they read about it in the media or they've heard about it from friends and family, things like that. Um, how, what is it that you do for people to help them through the buying process? Uh, so the, the first the first step is always getting your hands on the documents, which uh, prior to me starting ConoClear, uh, I didn't realize how big of a challenge that was and, and how much you guys as realtors and, and buyers have to go through in order to get your hands on everything. Um, so, so we actually do spend a lot of time going through the documents, organizing and making sure everything's there, and then corresponding with the, with the realtor or the strata to get a, a hold of those documents. So, so that's the first and foremost thing is making sure that you have what you need. And yeah. um, really well, actually, if, if you want to hold for a sec, so, so we should clarify for consumers what those documents are. Absolutely. So, so uh, Form B is the first and foremost, otherwise known as an information certificate. Uh, a recent set of financials, which I usually say something within the last two months, ideally. A depreciation report, if available. Um, and this is something, this is one of the changes that, are, that is coming down the pipeline uh, in regards to this insurance is, is making depreciation reports mandatory. Whereas before, Stratus could actually opt out by a three-quarter vote. They're talking about getting rid of that section of the Strata Property Act. Uh, which again, I, I support and I think should be done. Um, the bylaws, the rules, the insurance certificate, of course, uh, two years worth of minutes. Um, one of the things that we've really started pushing in the last probably six months is we're getting our hands on a copy of the original Form V from the Land Titles Office, uh, which is otherwise known as the Schedule of Unit Entitlements. Because again, a relatively new development that we found is that there's actually quite a few strata corporations out there that aren't charging the proper strata fees. So at some point in, in, in the history, uh, the stratas put together a spreadsheet to determine what everybody's, spread, uh, what everybody's strata fees should be. And all it takes is one number off and it messes with the entire formula. So we actually come across this on a weekly basis where the strata is not charging the, the, the proper strata fees. Well, you know what? I want to dig down a little deeper with that just so as our, our listeners understand the schedule of unit entitlement is basically um, it shows all of the owners and what their proportional share is in the entire development. Because of course, everyone has you know different size units, different attributes to the unit. Uh, it makes sense that a smaller unit pays less strata fee than a larger unit, for instance. So that's that schedule of unit entitlement that you're talking about, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Very interesting though, that you've noticed this because you know, people just assume that, hey, it's there and that's how they figure it out and everything's fine. 
Exactly. Yeah. And it was, it was even kind of a surprise to me as well, because when I first started providing this service, that wasn't something that we were paying a lot of attention to. And then just through, just through circumstance, I happened to notice it a couple times. And so I started paying more and more attention to it until now it's actually uh, an inherent part of our process is requesting that document and verifying the strata fee. Yeah. So um, the next question I have for you is why, why have an independent service like yours review these documents? Isn't that something a consumer can do on their own or isn't that something a realtor should be doing? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good question. It's something that comes up on a regular basis. So my answer to that is uh, I can ice skate, but I can't ice skate well. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. Any, anybody can read the documents, but as to whether or not you fully understand and comprehend what those documents mean and, and the effect that they may have on, on you as a buyer, that's a different story. Um, with strata corporations, you, you would like to think or assume that, that they're being very plain with what is going on. Oftentimes that's not ca the case. So I often, I often uh, describe what I'm doing as putting together a jigsaw puzzle without actually knowing what the final picture is. So there's often times where we'll be going through the documents and we'll almost be done a review after two or three hours of reading these and we'll pick up a little 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 piece of information that kind of makes you think and then all of a sudden you're going backwards to the documents looking at other information to kind of support that or figure out what they meant by that yeah. um, so ultimately as far as we go uh, uh, everybody that does the reviews we our background is strata management so these are all people that, that have had years of experience actually managing strata corporations as compared to a, a realtor for instance where your guys' specialty really is negotiating deals, uh, making sure that the proper subjects are in the contract, uh, finding properties for your, your clients, et cetera. So I, I actually think in BC, the, the, the realtors have kind of been put behind the eight ball with, with an expectation to, to review these documents in, in an area that, that not everybody is, is really equipped or, or experienced to deal with. Mm -hmm. Well, well, listen, before we go to our break here, I, I do want to uh, contribute here. It was a bit of a trick question because the, 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 the answer that I tell when we're teaching new licensees is real estate licensees are not specialists in this area. We cannot give our opinions on depreciation reports, financial statements, things like that. Um, and as a result, if we give advice in this area, our errors and emissions insurance uh, can be nullified because that's not that's beyond the scope of our level of expertise. Absolutely. So, uh, so that's why I believe in having clients use a service like yourself or, or, or others as well to review and to have that unbiased um, uh, separate opinion uh, and professional judgment, right? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I mean, I might be a little bit biased in saying that, but I, I agree. Yeah. Well, hey, listen, uh, we got to take a quick break here, but uh, if people need to reach you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, info at condoclear.ca is uh, our general email address. Um, condoclear.ca is, is our website and it has all of our contact information there. Um, the other thing I will plug to is our, our Facebook page. We share a lot of strata related stuff. We do webinars, educational things for, for realtors as well as, as well as buyers. Fantastic. I've been there. All right. Uh, hold tight there, Ryan. We'll bring you right back. We're going to take a break back in just a moment. You're listening to The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. We're talking today about stratas and having strata documents and all that fun stuff reviewed. 
We're having a conversation with Ryan Stenquist from Condo Clear. But before we continue, though, I want to remind you, the listeners, that if you're a podcast listener, you can find all of our episodes online. Go to iTunes or Google Play. Look for The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe. All 169 episodes uh, are on there, and there's great information, including the last time Ryan was on uh, a few years ago now. So if there's ever anything you need to know about the real estate business, all the insider details, uh, just dial up and uh, start listening. Um, uh, Ryan, thanks again for coming back. We're talking about condos. Now, before the break, we were talking about uh, having a third party like yourself review stride documents. I liked what you said. You can ice skate, but you can't skate well. Um, you know, again, with, with realtors here, you know, a question that comes up often for us is, oh, uh, I see they have $800,000 in the contingency reserve fund. Is that good? <laughs> to, which, I, to which we're always teaching realtors, don't answer that because you don't know. Yeah. Right. Leave it to an expert like yourself who reviews other things. What do you say when people ask that question? You know, and that's a question that I get almost every single time I talk to a customer. Um, and quite honestly, my, my answer is usually I don't know as well, uh, because ultimately it's subjective. Now, the, my default answer is as long as the strata is contributing the minimum amount required by the Strata Property Act, then there's enough in the CRF, technically. Contingency reserve uh, fund. Contingency reserve fund. Yeah. Contingency reserve reserve fund. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so so as long as they're meeting that minimum requirement, technically, yeah, there's enough money in the CRF. But but generally speaking, I I wouldn't often uh, advise a strata corporation to only do the bare minimum because when big projects do come up, windows, roof, etc., uh, that's likely not going to be nearly enough money. Um, now, when you're talking about getting into whether or not they're, they're, they're fully funded or partially funded, that's, that's really a very subjective conversation because some strata corporations take the stance and the strategy that they want to have it fully funded. And that's, that's perfectly well and good. Uh, however, some other strata corporations may choose to do a mix where there's, where there's special levies involved, but they also have a healthy contingency fund. Uh, the reason for that um, is because if you are buying into a brand new building, say it's two years old, and you're putting away a significant amount of money into the CRF, well, if, you only, if you're only living in that building for about five years, what you're doing is you're subsidizing the future costs for owners when you're not in the The next owner. No. It's not a bad idea, and that can have a very positive impact to the market price of the property. Yeah. Um, but that's up to the strata corporation. The, the good thing is, with the way our strata gov governance is, is formatted, is it gives each individual building the ability to choose what is best for them and the strategy that they want to use. Uh huh. Yeah, and, and, it's, and it's all about information because, you know, it wasn't that long ago where there were not uh, uh, contingency reserve fund studies or there were not these depreciation reports. Uh, speaking of which, I, I think you should touch really quickly on what a depreciation report is, just so as our listeners know. Absolutely. So a depreciation report is basically a 30-year forecast of all capital cost expenditures that are expected to come up for the Strata Corporation. So again, things like I mentioned, the roof, the windows are often very big things, building envelope. Uh, what they do, the author of that report is going to come in, they're going to make an inventory of all those different components. They're going to look at the age of it, the last time that they were replaced. Uh, based on industry standards and industry averages, they will come up with when those items likely need to be replaced again, uh, an estimated cost of how much that will cost. And then they use that to format uh, different options that the Strata Corporation can look at as far as how much money they're putting into their contingency account on a, on a monthly or annual basis. Okay. You know, it, it is amazing because, you know, when we're working with buyers, consumers, 
uh, and we we explain the depreciation uh, report uh, and the contingency reserve fund. Um, people are surprised to discover that we haven't always had these. Like these, this has only really been mandated by the government in the last. Uh, I'm going to say what maybe like eight years or something, right? Yeah, I think the legislation uh, was was passed in 2012, and then it came into effect yeah, in 2013. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was right. Good, uh, good guess there. But before yeah. that, I mean, it was just you know people could do whatever they wanted. Um, and, and when you think about it, it's such a big investment, not only for an individual owner, but for all of the owners collectively. Um, and, uh, and it is something that like, for instance, they have it in Ontario, they have something called a, uh, status certificate, I believe. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a yeah. different, different, different language right now. You also touched earlier on the fact that depreciation reports, although are required by law, they can also be voted Estrada can vote, uh, they have to vote every year, right? Correct, yes. So so Estrada can vote to exempt themselves. That exemption lasts for 18 months, which basically gets them to the next AGM. Yeah. Um, and it's a three-quarter vote uh, uh, to to waive that requirement. So that's one of the things they're talking about getting rid of, the ability for Stratus to, to, to defer that or, yeah. or waive it completely. Now, um, now when, you, when you're dealing with a buyer who's looking at buying something and there is not a depreciation report, because there are, there are buildings or stratas that don't have them and um, you can buy them. Like not having a depreciation report doesn't mean that the person can't buy the property, right? Absolutely, yeah. And there's, there's, there's a couple different instances where we see buildings without depreciation reports. Um, probably the least desirable one is when you see see buildings that are that are older and they just have chosen that they don't want to do a depreciation report that kind of sends up some red flags uh because now you don't know what you're getting into as you as a buyer you can have a home inspector come in and do an inspection but that's still not to the same level of what a depreciation report is so so when you when we see those buildings when i see those buildings i'm always very clear with the people that that no matter how many how much we go through these documents there's still going to be a lot of unknowns that we're not going to be able to answer for you um the the the, the second time that, that we see stratas without depreciation reports is when they're new builds yeah. so yeah. oftentimes stratas will will waive that requirement for the first two or three years uh, and in that situation, I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad strategy. If, if they're waiving the depreciation report in favor of having engineers reviews done for warranty purposes, to me personally, I think that's a very valid reason to, to, to focus their energy on, on the warranty process rather than on the depreciation report. Because stuff. I think it's important for people to understand that the reason why Estrada typically doesn't, they, they opt out of a depreciation report is the cost because they are they are they are expensive. They're, it's getting an engineering company in to do the work, right? Yeah, yeah. Depending depending on depending on the size of the building, the complexity of the building, you can be looking at anywhere from five to twelve thousand dollars for a depreciation report. Yeah, and and uh, the other thing that you touched on, which I think is really important, is that a, a buyer's own building inspection. So getting a building inspector, like our, our sponsor, Shoreline Building Inspection, they're great, but it is not the same level of inspection. Obviously, you know that's a surface inspection versus a deep, um, you know, uh, uh, forensic uh, accounting of major systems and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's it, it's really important to, to recognize the differences. And it's also really important to recognize that a depreciation report isn't necessarily a comment on the condition of the building itself. Uh, it, it is more focused on on the age of the building versus the average lifespan of those of those components. So, so oftentimes depreciation reports will advise additional studies. 
So often, thing, often something that comes up is a building envelope condition assessment or a BECA, as we refer to it. Uh, the depreciation part will say, uh, if, especially if a building is getting to that age where it's 25, 30 years old and you're starting to see some, some building envelope issues, um, the depreciation part may say you should get a BECA done. Uh, and then that's a, that's a much more deeper investigation into the building envelope condition specifically. Uh, otherwise, water piping reports for, for, for older buildings. So, so the depreciation part is, is very comprehensive and it gives you a great idea uh, where the Strata Corporation's at, but it's not the end-all be-all of investigations. Well, listen, I want to bring Denise Webster uh, uh, back in here because, the, so the, the question that I had of you is, uh, yeah, there are buildings that don't have depreciation reports. People can still buy properties, but you're saying uh, they just need to have extra caution to know that, you know, more study needs to be done. So, uh, Denise, um, mm -hmm. and this is a question that, that uh, uh, people have as far as financing is concerned. What, what are the banks or the lenders' positions about depreciation reports? Like, what happens when one doesn't exist? It really does come across as a red flag to a lender. They're, they're going to really want to dig in and find out why they haven't done a depreciation report. Um, you know, a smaller strata, uh, maybe um, owner-run, um, Managed, yeah. um, they've uh, they will make yeah, so like so self ma self managed as in yeah self managed yeah, yeah okay yeah but if they don't have the depreciation report they're probably going to look for like a two year history of the minutes and the AGMs they're going to start to read through everything and just see how well run the self managed strata is and I've had exceptions made to not having the depreciation report but as a broker to my clients I'm also really advising them right from the get go when they do see a building without a, a depreciation depreciation report, we could definitely run into difficulties with the lender. Okay. Um, it is the eyes, the lenders, some request, and they will go through those depreciation, depreciation reports. Some won't. Um, and as a reminder, the, the inspector, the inspection that the buyers order, that's a buyer inspection only. The, it is not privy to the lenders. They don't take a look at that. Oh. So their eyes want to be on the depreciation report. They will go through the strata minutes, the AGMs. So, uh, yes, I've been able to get some exceptions if it is a well-run strata, but it is a kind of a warning to a lender to say, why is there not a depreciation report? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Um, Ryan, uh, something else I want to touch on too is just because there's a depreciation, I think you kind of touched on it. Just because there's okay. a depreciation report doesn't mean the building's a good one, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And this is, I've got a prime example. And this is something that I was just dealing with about half an hour before jumping on with you, Tony. Um, and this is something I see, and it's something that, that uh, uh, I really, really don't like. Um, there, there are some depreciation reports out there where the councils will actually direct the author to omit certain things. So the building that I was dealing with this morning was a 1977 building. The council directed the, the author of the depreciation report not to include the building envelope was $2.6 million, not to include repiping, which was a million dollars, not to include the doors and windows, which was $1.2 million. So all, all in uh, that building, the depreciation report uh, was about $5 million short of what they actually should have had in their projections. Oh my goodness. And this isn't, I don't want to say this is common, but it's common enough that I'm probably seeing it this is, this, is a, this is a very egregious case of this. Typically, it's not this bad, but this is something I'm seeing probably out of one out of every 20 to 30 reviews that I'm doing, I'm seeing some, some evidence of them doing this. Okay. 
Well, you know what? I mean, that uh, as we close up here, that is a, a classic example why somebody needs to have somebody like you at ConoClear review stuff. It's an extra set of eyes. Um, uh, first of all, I know that you guys always appreciate when you get time to do this because I know that sometimes realtors and buyers will go, oh my goodness, I need you guys to review this. I, I got to remove conditions tomorrow. I, I'm sure you guys like to have extra extra lead time, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Four to five business days is always our goal. Uh, not saying we can't do it quicker, but it, it really depends on, on our volume and how busy we are at any given time. All right. Well, listen, thanks for joining us, uh, Ryan. And of course, Denise, as always, uh, Ryan, uh, again, if people need to reach you, best way to do that. Uh, condoclear.ca is our website. Uh, info at condoclear.ca is our, is our main email address. And uh, um, our Facebook group, Condoclear Services Inc. on Facebook is full of a lot of great information about stratas. Uh, I try to post on a daily basis just the things that are going on. And uh, so that's, that's a good way to stay in touch. Fantastic. And Denise, as always, if people need to call you, your number again? 250-889-4743 or an email to denise at denisewebster.com. Great. Thanks for joining us, both of you guys. And to our listeners, we'll be here for you this time next week.